Yeah, we're talking parts per trillion on the results here too, right? This is very low detection. We are, yeah. So as low as 100 parts per trillion. Um, some compounds are a little bit higher than that, but um, as low as 100 parts per trillion, which is, yeah, it's very low for blood. And um, and it does, it does require some of that advanced uh, instrumentation I was talking about to be able to maintain that low reporting limit while using such a small volume of blood. So for comparison's sake, for drinking water sample, we use 250 mils of water to achieve reporting limits in the two part per trillion range. For, for blood, we use 0 0.06 mils of sample to get to 100 parts per trillion. So I think that okay, comes that's out- That's pretty good comparison. Yeah, I think it comes out to something over 4,000 X lower sample volume results in only a 50x higher reporting limit. So I think that's not too shabby. Welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast, where we talk with industry leaders, climate champions, and sustainability professionals who are making an impact in their businesses today. Each leader is solving complex challenges and providing solutions within their respective areas of expertise. And here's our host, Sean Grady. Hey, have you noticed it's harder and harder these days to, uh, you know, earn your continuing education units or those certification maintenance points to maintain your industry credential? Also, are you tired of attending online conferences and not really getting what you expected out of it? Well, look no further. Go to www.environmentaltransformationpodcast.com and sign up to watch one of my episodes and earn one CEU for only $10 per episode. Have fun watching any of the episodes on my listening platform. Take a five-question quiz at the completion of the video and receive a certificate of listening to earn one CEU for your time. More importantly, you get to choose which topic you want to listen to. And the best part, how can you beat $10 for a CEU? Also, you'll be able to stay up on industry trends, regulatory updates, and the hot topics of the day like ESG, PFAS, circular economy, climate change, and so much more. Where else can you earn one CEU while you're working out or taking your lunch break? I can't think of a better way to meet your CEU requirements. So what are you waiting for? Go to www.environmentaltransformationpodcast.com and start earning yours today. Hey, welcome to the Environmental Transformation Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Grady. Today's guest is a repeat guest, my first repeat guest. I can't wait. It's Taryn McKnight from Eurofins. Hey, Taryn, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing good. How about you? Oh, I can't, I can't complain. You know, I mean, if I did, who would, no one's listening. <laughs> so, you know, but no, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. You know, uh, for those listening, Taryn is the PFAS practice leader for Eurofins. And we had her on, uh, geez, I want to say about 20 some episodes ago. I think it's been so, <laughs> it's been a while. Yeah. But, congratulations. Uh, yeah, I know. So, uh, but I, I'm, you know, you guys just released some really cool product in the industry and it sparked my interest immediately. And I said, we got to bring Taryn on the, on the show. So before we jump in for the listeners, just because maybe they didn't hear the, previous episode of you. Why don't you give them a little bit of background about yourself uh, and how you became the practice leader at your friends real quick. And we'll get into the, the nitty gritty of the good stuff. Sure. So, um, I've been with uh, Eurofence for about the last 10 years. I've been in the environmental testing industry for the last 20 years. Um, and my focus has always been on kind of emerging um, topics, so emerging pathways of concern and emerging contaminants of concern. And uh, right now, that's um, all PFAS. <laughs> it's hot topic, PFAS, yeah. right? Right? Well, no kidding. Well, okay. So... Your offense, you guys are one of the larger national analytical testing labs in the industry, right? Right. So we're um, actually a global network of laboratories, and we have a pretty 
broad uh, range of sectors that we support. So pharmaceutical, food and feed, consumer product testing, and environmental. And so here in the U.S., I'm part of our environmental division, and this is where we support the new tests that we're here to talk about today. Okay, good, good. Well, that's a good overview of your fins and what you guys do. Now let's get into the good stuff. So you guys just released an in-home PFOS blood sampling kit. And I mean, this is like, I think a game changer in the industry. I mean, it's like the 23andMe of PFOS blood detection. Talk about this. Yeah, so kind of how people are familiar probably with the 23andMe test. This is an at-home self-collection test. So you order a kit online, it gets shipped to your home or your office, and you collect the sample yourself, drop it in the mail, it goes back to the laboratory, and then you get your email you know, results through a web portal and find out what kind of exposure you may have had to PFAS chemicals. Oh, wow. I mean, how easy is that? I mean, it can't get any easier than that. I mean, here, just for the listeners, this is what this is what the product looks like when it comes in the mail, right? Uh, and Taryn's got the same product here. She shipped me one. And yeah. it's just a nice little box. And it comes, you know, all prepackaged with everything in it. And, uh, you know, this is a really cool feature because you know, it's uh, it's going to be a game changer for people who want to know what's going on in, in their blood. I mean, how long did it take for you guys to, to develop this 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 new tool and this testing process? So PFAS analysis in the environment is something we've been doing for the last 20 years, um, but it was really just the last year and a half or so that um, we focused in on trying to develop a technique that would allow you to collect a blood sample yourself. Um, and really the pandemic was the major driver for this, for mm. people to be able to collect a sample from the you know safety and comfort of their own home versus going to a medical clinic to get a blood draw from, you know, phlebotomist or a physician. Mm, okay. I mean, so, I mean, I guess the big question is why, why sample PFAS in blood? What's the big, you know, reason why we need to do that? Okay, so this is this test is for the purposes of measuring one's uh, environmental exposure to these contaminants. And according to the CDC, uh, biomonitoring measurements, which is what this is referred to as, um, are really the most health relevant assessments of exposure to environmental chemicals um, because it measures what actually gets into people's bodies, mm -hmm. not just what's in the environment. And then it's collectively a measurement of everything from the environment. So the soil, the drinking water, indoor dust, the food you eat, you know, it's measuring exposure from all of those potential sources, and then what's making it into your body. And mm. then, you know, the CDC even notes that with with few exceptions, that it's the concentration of chemicals in people's blood in their bodies uh, that provides the best exposure information for evaluating the potential for those adverse health effects that that we're concerned about. So, and we know that PFAS are bioaccumulating in, in, in you know, in a person's body, in their system. Um, so they, they, they kind of like, you know, I guess, uh, get stored in fatty deposits and things like that too. So instead of like collecting samples from fat tissue, you're, you're getting it from the, the source of blood that's, you know, flowing through the system. And it's still a, a really good indicator or representation of how much, you know, you have in your body, right? Right. Right. So PFAS um, tend to bind to proteins and they are typically found in the blood. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, because of that, they're also then associated with some of the negative health outcomes associated with our kidneys and our liver and, um, you know, those organs that are processing our blood. Mm. Well, is this type of testing currently being done elsewhere or is this something that's like completely new? So the CDC has been monitoring um, for PFAS exposures of the U.S. population, and this is just a general population assessment that they do. Uh, they've done it since 1999 for PFAS specifically, mm -hmm. um, and they publish results for this study. It's called NHANES, the National um, Health and uh, Nutrition Examination Sur Survey. Um, that's, that's, I'm glad you pulled that out because I would have forgotten that acronym. <laughs> 
Um, so that study, they published uh, results for 16 PFAS uh, compounds in, in the general population. Um, okay. What's new about this test is that, well, a couple of things. Um, uh, the ability to self-collect, as we mentioned. Yeah. Um, the NHANES study is based off of serum. So it does require oh. that blood draw. So you got to um, do blood draw and then, you know, you know, do the centrifuge and get the serum out of the blood, right? Right. And then it's supposed to be an estimation for what is in the whole blood. Um, uh, our test is a direct measurement of what's in whole blood. Um, and then uh, I think another really big thing about the that's different about this test is accessibility. So this test is available to any private citizen who wants to order one and, and find out these results. It's not limited to those who can get a doctor's order or um, who are provided this testing from legislation that was passed for specific groups of people. Right. Uh, so it's accessibility is a big part of it. And then lastly would be the expansion of the target analyte list. So the CDC study covers those 16 PFAS, uh, mm -hmm. whereas this test captures more than 40 PFAS compounds. Oh, wow. Oh, and I think that's, that's going to continue to grow. And it'll continue to grow. Okay. So even though currently it's 40 over time, you know, that may be expanding based on your method, your, your analytical methods that you're running on the blood, right? And just, right. you'll just be added as a, you know, feature. Right. Ah, oh, wow. Okay. That's really good. I love that. I, I mean, that, that sounds really good. I mean, who, who would most benefit from these, uh, you know, types of, you know, tests? Um, I mean, there's a lot of interest, I think, in people want to know this information, but like, who's really the best, you know, I mean, are we talking children? Are we talking adults? Uh, are we talking only people that are really affected by in a, in a community? Or what, what, what are we talking about? Yeah, there's a, there's probably a pretty wide range of people who would be interested in this test, but I think kind of at the top of the list are going to be researchers um, and those impacted communities that you mentioned, so where they know they have some uh, known contamination in the environment, whether it's their drinking water or uh, groundwater, that they want to know what has made it into their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and then maybe some occupational exposure concerns like that from firefighters. So oh, those are probably yeah. the main, I think the main groups that would have the biggest interest in this data. Now, are you seeing any interest or uptake on this product now that kind of is targeting a specific group that you're like, oh, these guys are really interested in. I mean, this is that, you know, we're starting to see some interest or, you There's know, yeah, I'd purchases. say there's a lot of research um, related to firefighter exposure at this okay. time, whether it's from the firefighting foams that they use, the AFFF foams, or their turnout gear. Um, there's a lot of questions about uh, where their exposure might be coming from and what the associated health effects are from those exposures. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's good to know. I mean, well, let's let's do this for the listeners. Let's take and open the box and let's like, you know, show them what's in the box because it's kind of cool. I mean, there's some neat stuff in here. It's like, oh, this is pretty neat. Yeah, so it's going to come with the, it's a lot of the same kind of things you've seen. If any of you've done an at-home test for COVID or the genetic testing, um, you're going to have sample labels and um, the bag to put your... Um, Oh no, are we blurring out? You're blurring, but yeah. I got I got that too. Yeah, here we go. Right. Yeah, we got the bag, right? The bag, yeah, to put the sample in and you fill out your ID, your information on there. Uh, the device itself, which is probably the most interesting part to you. Um, this is what it looks like. And it's got these little absorptive tips that are kind of like Q-tips. Mm-hmm. And so you use a simple lancet. We've got ones for all different age groups. Okay. Yeah. That that's like, yeah, these little dudes here, right? Yep. yep. So you just yep. take the lancet, you prick the side of your finger with it, and then you hold the absorptive tip to your finger and it'll pull up a precise amount of blood into that tip. And you have to fill up all four of them. Okay. And then that's it. You're done sampling. You just close it up and put it in your bag and then it comes with the return shipping label you just drop it off at 
a FedEx drop box or yeah, mail. Yeah, yeah. See, look here, guys. Look here. This has got you've got the return label already there. You just like drop it in this little bag, send it. Uh, you know, the other thing though, uh, you didn't really mention those. I'm gonna look at this here. You've got some Q code scanning uh, to register, right? I mean, that's pretty cool. It's kind of step by step. You know, you know, this is like even even the monkey can figure this one out, right? Yeah, it has pretty thorough instructions, and you know, I will say you should take the time, carve out a good 10, 15 minutes to sit down and read the instructions and carefully collect your sample. We wanna make sure that you don't cross contaminate the sample, that you fill the tips all the way. If they're underfilled, we may not be able to get a viable sample from it. So it's really important to fill them all the way. Um, um, yeah, I can imagine. You gotta make sure you got a good finger prick so you get good blood flow coming out of there, right? Yep, and we have a video online that kind of walks you through the process in live um, motion, so you can follow that as well. Well, I mean, it, it doesn't get any easier than that. I mean, people, I mean, how many people are probably listening are diabetic and it's just like pricking your finger for checking your glucose, right? It's the same it thing, right? I mean, this yep. isn't much different. Uh, and, and then you get to really get an accurate, uh, you know, result of what your PFAS levels are in your blood. I mean, this episode is sponsored by Regenesis. Have you noticed that the use of traditional methods to remediate PFAS contamination in groundwater are proving difficult for many who are struggling to manage long-term PFAS exposure? Pump and treat systems using activated carbon filters are expensive and difficult to treat wide areas of PFAS contamination. But now, there's a proven alternative to pump and treat systems that eliminates PFAS risk for decades. Regenesis has developed PlumeStop, an in-situ remediation technology that solves PFAS remediation challenges in groundwater. Applied under low pressure injection, PlumeStop's colloidal activated carbon quickly and safely addresses PFAS without the expense and maintenance costs incurred with pump and treat systems. To learn more about PlumeStop and the science behind Regenesis proprietary organic polymer dispersion chemistry, go to www.pfostreatment.org. That's www.pfostreatment.org. Well, let's let's get into this a bit. Like, okay, the big question: How much does this thing cost? I mean, like, you know, is it affordable? I mean, that's what I think the big people are. Uh, big question: Most people are going to want to know. Yeah. I, so for us, it was really important to make this accessible because that was such a barrier for folks. And so the price point was really important that we could make it as accessible as possible. Whether people find it affordable or not, I don't know. I guess it depends <laughs> on what their concern is, you know, about their exposure. But the price is $399. Okay. And that includes the kit and the shipping and then the analysis the results for you know the 46 compounds at this point um and that was just about as affordable as we could make it this analysis yeah. is pretty costly to conduct um the instrumentation we use are like the Ferraris of lab instruments. Uh, they're three quarters of a million dollars each. And um, a lot of the supplies that are used in running the test are very expensive. So it's it's costly to run. And that's sure. part of the reason for the price point. Well, you know, I, to me, though, that's like, you know, going to the doctors anyways. You're going to go make a doctor visit or maybe a visit to the chiropractor, you know, before you know it. I think it's a pretty good bargain. It's a good peace of mind. Three ninety nine for a peace of mind. I, that's pretty nice. I think that's a good deal. Good, good. And, you know, and that's not to say it's not going to be within reach for some affected people in certain communities that maybe they just don't have the money. And I get that. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't want to minimize the the, the 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 financial burden that some people may feel with that price point. But I think it is a pretty pretty good pretty good number to you know to get that information out and, and people can know um what what they really now what do they do with the the results when they get it i mean like what can they expect and what should they think through when they have the data in their hand yeah i think it's really helpful to remember the context of these results that this is an environmental exposure test 
as opposed to a clinical test. So the type of clinical test your doctor might prescribe for you to have done is going to come with very clear information about what the normal range is for those results. Um, if you're outside of that normal range, some kind of diagnosis and mm -hmm. a treatment plan. Um, no such thing exists for PFAS right now. So this is really about just understanding what your environmental exposure has been. And the, the most accessible way to do that right now is to compare to the results from the CDC's and Haines study. So that's a representation of the general population. We know the general population all has PFAS in their blood to some degree. And so yeah. then it's a matter of whether your levels are higher than the general population or lower or right at that median. And so you can compare your results um, to the NHANES study and get a feel for just how significant your exposure may be. Is it normal, the average, or is it higher? And if it's higher, um, you can look at things like the ratios of the compounds that are detected. So there's kind of a consistent pattern that's representative of the average American. If yours mm -hmm. is much different than that, it might indicate an occupational exposure or an exposure to contamination from a very specific process, like from a you know, a manufacturing facility or something like that. So you can start to get a, a feel for um, the significance, the relative significance of your exposure. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. Now, is there a way, uh, I mean, most people are going to say, well, look, I, I've got PFAS in my blood. Okay. And I have it. Am I going to get cancer? You know, that's going to be like the big question, right? Like, so is there a way to correlate any of that to a related cancer uh, exposure or cancer, you know, risk, I guess? I mean, is how do they figure that out? Yeah. Well, let me just start by saying my understanding <laughs> about uh, making links to cancer is very difficult. Um, it's very difficult to say that this particular um, uh, uh, exposure or chemical um, is directly going to and result in this type of cancer. But there's these associations, right? So they've uh, determined that P certain PFAS are associated with certain types of cancers. And so what you could do is use this information um, potentially as a proactive health management tool. So if you have, you know, higher than normal results for certain PFAS, maybe you take that information to your physician, you share that with them. And uh, let's say you're younger than the typical age that they would start screening for testicular cancer. Um, and so you ask your physician if they'd be supportive of you doing that screening earlier because of this exposure. So, it, you know, you can use it for making some kind of proactive health management decisions. Um, but no physician's going to be able to tell you with these levels, yes, we have, you know, this certain confidence that it's going to lead the, to this negative health outcome. What has been, if any, you know, feedback from the medical community uh, associated with this, you know, these sampling, uh, this sampling device and methodology? Yeah. So the, the typical um, medical community, your primary care physicians, they're still really getting up to speed on um, this data and what it means and what to do with it. There's agencies out there that are trying to provide tools um, mm -hmm. for those physicians to interpret this data and make decisions based off of it. And that's all in development right now. So we're really in the early stages. Uh, but there are plenty of researchers, medical researchers out there, toxicologists, epidemiologists, epidemiologists um, who are interested in gathering more of this data to be able to start to determine what some of those um, health associations are. Well, when I looked at the, the uh, package and I look at some of the information that is being requested from, you know, the, the submitter, you know, I have my name, my date of birth, and the date I collected it. Are you guys thinking... Yeah. Are you guys thinking about adding any additional like health screening questions associated with this to help build a database for, you know, the uh, risk and toxicity uh, community that's going to want to tap into some of this data that's kind of being collected and having some ability to anonymize, anonymize, should I say, the, the information for 
the better good of society down the road? I mean, what, what are we thinking about that? So there's actually a couple more pieces of information that you're asked for when you activate a kit. Oh, uh, so okay. your, your gender at birth, um, race and ethnicity. And so we do collect a few demographics. Um, we are not currently utilizing that information, um, but we are definitely talking about it, looking at it, trying to figure out what the best path forward would be for contributing to the body of knowledge on um, the occurrence of these chemicals, especially because we're the only ones offering a test that looks at so many chemicals. Um, it's information that researchers are particularly interested in. So we're not just looking at those legacy PFAS chemicals that were mass produced and utilized for decades, but that have largely been phased out. We're also looking at what um, is kind of categorized as next generation PFAS chemicals. And so that's of particular interest to, you know, researchers to better understand, has the exposure just shifted from a certain profile to a different uh, profile of, of the types sure. of PFAS chemicals? And so we are talking to researchers and trying to best, best understand the, the best path forward for utilizing this data and making it accessible to people. And of course, in an anonymous way. I mean, I... I just think, I mean, for those who are listening to the episode here today, I mean, if you've seen the movie Dark Waters, you know, they ended up generating the largest epidemiology study uh, known currently that's out there in one location of affected communities, like 70,000 people or 60 some thousand people that were, you know, tested. And they gave their, you know, their medical histories as part of the blood sampling process. And, and I'm just thinking, wow, here's a way where we could really ramp up a, a whole new data set of, you know, uh, people, you know, you know, individuals, uh, you know, maybe being affected by some uh, health, certain health conditions as they do this test. And we, you know, maybe there are additional correlations down the road that could be, you know, attributed to some of this, but I just, I, I mean, what is the legal, uh, you know, you know, group or the, the legal community what are they, or what are they saying about this? Do they even know about it yet? I think is, is one question. Cause I did have a conversation with an attorney just yesterday and I mentioned it to him because, Oh, I didn't know that. I was like, yeah. And he goes, I think they're a little slow to take up this new release. So have you had any conversations with the legal community yet? We, we've had a few. So I, I would agree with you. I, I doubt that it's widespread knowledge amongst the environmental law community, but um, there has certainly been some interest in being able to utilize this when they're representing um, those impacted communities. Yeah. I mean, now in that scenario, so say you've got, uh, um, you know, litigation going on in, in the illegal, you know, the, the law firms are saying, hey, we want to start testing. They could easily, I guess, at that point, include some additional, you know, uh, profiling type, you know, questions for the individuals taking the samples to to get that, you know, health, uh, you know, exposure or health history, right? Yeah, because as you mentioned, the the C8 panel that was conducted and those types of epidemiological studies, they do require usually a much more involved health questionnaire than just the few pieces of information that um, we request with our test. Uh, so that would be a kind of a step, a development that we'd have to consider incorporating. Uh, but I, I don't know that we would do it outside of a research context in partnership with other researchers, because we're not toxicologists, we're not epidemiologists. Our role in this is really to conduct the method development, the R&D to make this data accessible to right. those who seek it. Um, right. But we have to partner with people who have the expertise to do something with that data and make it um, useful to the, you know, the, the nation as a whole. I think that would be a pretty cool partnership if you found an organization that would want to, you know, come alongside you guys and say, hey, look, you know, you can offer the kits for the same price you're doing. But if, you know, you got option A is the way you got it and option B is the same thing, but they can fill out the forms and the forms go to these people. And then we, you know, correlate the data and, and use that. And they know willingly that they're going to pick that option versus the other. That would be kind of cool, right? Right. Yeah, it would be great for the community to to 
elect to contribute to advancing this body of knowledge? Uh, I mean, I, I bet you if you guys made that an offer, you'd probably see a lot of uptake on that probably too, because there's so many interested parties that'd be like, I need, yeah, I want to, I want to contribute, you know, be yeah. a good idea. So um, really cool stuff there. So what about, you know, are there any like blood matrix issues that, you know, or, or interference concerns with the blood and the PFAS, you know, I mean, does, there, does that represent any issue in sampling and detecting PFAS? You know, for us as environmental scientists, um, it's a little bit easier than um, accounting for the world of matrix interferences that we do mm -hmm. in environmental matrices. It can vary widely. Uh, it, at least with blood, it tends to be a little more consistent. Uh, but mm. there but there are interferences from the proteins, and we have to address those in our preparation methods um, so as not to interfere with the uh, identification of compounds, but also impacting uh, the sensitivity of the test. So achieving reporting limits that are um, supportive of, let's say, comparing data to the NHANE study was very important to us. We want to make sure that they're environmentally relevant limits that we're achieving. So um, if you go to compare that data, you're comparing um, apples to apples. Well, okay. So if I take the test and I get the results, how like reliable or how definitive uh what's the word i want to say yeah, um, definitive yeah can i you know can i rely on these tests to say no this is an accurate representation and it could be relied upon for you know some some you know good definitive reason of like I, i've got it it's, i'm correlating it it could be defended right you know in court if it needed to be yeah so we have all of our own um, standard method criteria for precision and accuracy that has to be met for this test. But um, especially for the research community, a lot of uh, their questions are around the accuracy of these results compared to serum, because this is a whole blood test. So how does that compare? Mm -hmm. And we conducted a study uh, with a cohort out of Michigan where we compared uh, the serum results to a whole Actually, blood to two different kinds of whole blood and um, we okay. added an, a unique element it was whole blood collected by uh scientists and then the whole blood collected by the individuals we wanted to make sure that there wouldn't be a difference there in a mm -hmm. layman doing it versus a you know scientific expert so um we we conducted that study and we're getting ready to publish those results uh so There'll be that um, published data for folks to reference and have confidence in the accuracy of this, especially as compared to serum, which is what you'd be comparing your results to for the NHANE study. Um, but I can tell you everything compares very nicely. Any issues with different types of blood? No. I mean, like, you know, O and A and B. I mean, there's no no, no issues there. I mean, okay, no. good. Yeah, I mean, you know. No, just... I thought you were going to ask me about animals, though. We've recently oh. been asked if we could test animals as well, like livestock, I yeah. think, because of some of the concern around different farms. There was a recent report out of Michigan and the beef uh, um, that was contaminated. And so uh, we have been asked about doing uh, PFAS and animal blood. Uh, we haven't done it yet, but we don't expect that we'd have any uh, problems processing. Wow. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. That's getting to be uh, this is this whole this whole industry, uh, you know, in the analytical side, it's getting to be really uh, nimble enough to to meet the needs of the end users, so to speak. Of you know, I want we need to know what what are the risks we we currently have if we do have this in our blood. And it's, it's, I'm glad to hear that there's this uh, potential, um, you know, medical, you know, education of the doctors that it can help to start correlate these concentrations in blood to, you know, co you know, related diseases. And, you know, the epidemiology study that was done at Parkersburg definitely identified uh, several cancers that were connected to the uh, associated uh, exposures. Um, so we do know there's definitely links. It's just you know, how much, and, and, and I think everyone's going to want to know, well, if I have it, can I link it to something I'm currently having? I mean, I've got, say I've got, uh, you know, liver cancer or something and I don't drink, you know? Right. So it's like, okay, maybe this is, <laughs> right. 
And it's so <laughs> compound specific. That's been one of the biggest challenges for our industry to date is that these PFAS chemicals, it's the effects that they can have, it's so dependent on the specific PFAS chemical that you're talking about. And right. when you're looking at a class of thousands of chemicals, we've just scratched the surface mm -hmm. on understanding the potential for effects um, from those specific chemicals. Mm. What's what's uh, what's Eurofin's uh, a position on um, at some point maybe making the data available to toxicologists and risk assessors or medical doctors, you know, to help, you know, with making determinations of this, you know, blood. I mean, you know, in, a, in a, an anonymized level. I mean, is there interest in in Eurofin's to be able to do that down the road, or would that be something you'd have to do with a, a partner, uh, another partnering type of you know partnership? Of, it would, def it would definitely have to be some type of partnership, and we we just haven't um, determined what the best platform is for that yet. Um, but all part of those evaluations we're considering right now. I can imagine that you're going to start getting a lot of interest from the legal community because they're going to be like, I want access to that so I can prove there's correlation. Mm -hmm. I can prove. I mean, there's, I could just see it. They're going to start lining up. I mean, people are, and, or it's going to be the CDC. It's going to be EPA. It's going to be all these people that are going to want to start running risk assessment uh, type, uh, you know, equations and, and uh, yeah, know, I think it's more about the data analytics yeah. um, that's, in, that's valuable here. Uh-huh. Well, that's going to be interesting. Um, man, I tell you, I just, you know, we're talking parts per trillion on the results here too, right? This is very low detection. We are. Yeah. So as low as a hundred parts per trillion, um, some compounds are a little bit higher than that, but um, as low as a hundred parts per trillion, which is, yeah, it's very low for blood. And, um, and it does, it does require some of that advanced uh, instrumentation I was talking about to be able to maintain that low reporting limit while using such a small volume of blood. So for comparison's sake, for drinking water sample, we use 250 mils of water to achieve mm -hmm. reporting limits in the two part per trillion range. For, for blood, we use 0 0.06 mils of sample to get to 100 parts per trillion. So I think that okay, comes that's out- That's pretty good comparison. Yeah, I think it comes out to something over 4,000 X lower sample volume results in only a 50x higher reporting limit. So I think that's not too shabby if you ask. So me. on the converse, if I, if I, I, I drew 250 mils of blood, could I get down to one? I don't know. I want to do that. But. And so, you know, that the, there really isn't a driver to get much lower than that because that's what I was saying is, is environmentally re uh, relevant right now that everybody's got those levels in their blood. So there really isn't a need to get much lower than that. Oh, okay. All right. So if you're listening to this podcast, I'll bet you may be thinking, how can I level up and advance my career? If you want to get that promotion, increase your regulatory knowledge, gain professional recognition and earn more money, then it's time to obtain an industry credential from the Institute of Hazardous Material Management. The IHMM offers eight credentials that are ANSI approved for students, experienced, skilled employees without a degree, and for the degree professional looking to set themselves apart from the pack. Their credentials focus on three main areas, Certified Hazardous Material Manager, the CHMM, the Certified Dangerous Goods Professional, the CDGP, and the Certified Safety and Health Manager, the CSHM. If you become an IHMM credential professional, then you will be in the top 1% of your profession and your credential will have a global reach. Check out their programs they offer at www.ihmm.org. That's www.ihmm.org. What are you waiting for? Get started today. Wow. So if, if we all think, if we're all walking around with some sort of a hundred parts per trillion levels of PFAS in our blood. That's pretty scary. Of certain PFAS. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of, um, you know, 
it's like you don't know if it's it's going to have adverse health effects. It might, but you're not sure yet. Um, but I'm wondering if that's going to leave some, a little bit of anxiety on people knowing that information. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, right. That's how it is with any information, though, right? Is right. do you want to know or is ignorant bliss? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that's interesting. So, I mean, how many people that you're working with, you know, like, yep, I took the test. Yeah, lots of us did. <laughs> We're scientists. We want to know. We'll be the guinea pigs. Let's try yeah. it out. <laughs> oh, man, that's so cool. I mean, I think this is going to be a game changer because I, I think I could see, you know, in, in a remediation strategy um where uh, you're you know you're a consultant working for somebody who's trying to delineate their source of contamination and exposure and i could start to see that you know you know back in the day you know we had um new pathways of exposure we had to start evaluate had to evaluate which is like the vapor intrusion pathway we didn't even think about doing that until like the mid 2000s so everything done before then was you know historical hey we got it's either groundwater or, or soil exposure and that was it you know now i could see agencies starting to push well we want blood samples too from a you know uh, i could see a toxicological risk assessor uh, approach and then just getting authorizations and sign off from affected residents to 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 take the test i mean i could see that starting to be kind of become a an indicator of of how exposed communities are. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I see health departments um, advocating for that data yet because they're still kind of in the dark about what to do with the data. Mm -hmm. um, but the the indicator you mentioned, that's definitely something that law firms would um, would be able to capitalize on. So, you know, if they're representing an impacted community and that community's got thousands of members in it, you can yeah. deploy these self-collection kits very easily to, um, to screen and identify which people are um, actually impacted, most impacted, um, and then conduct, you know, further testing and assessments just on that specific group. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that easily. I mean, I think that would be some, I, I get a feeling you guys are going to get bombarded here in the next, say, six to eight months. Be like, oh my goodness. Okay. This caught on. Let's all, it's like wildfire. And we're going to be sampling a lot of, a lot of uh, PFAS blood. Uh, and, and you guys are just starting to promote it uh, on, you know, social media, LinkedIn and other places. But I mean, are you doing seminars for this uh, to, for, you know, at conferences and, and things like that? Yeah, I, we, it is very new for us. So we kind of did a very soft launch uh, at the end of last year, but really officially launched at the beginning of this year. And so mm -hmm. it's just been out on the market for a couple months now. And um, we we are we have a, a webinar that we conducted uh, just last month to kind of go through a lot of the technical details around the test and. Um, and starting to get the word out there about it. And we certainly appreciate you inviting us to come on here and talk. Hey, about it well. like to be first at the, at the punch here <laughs> to get this out to the community, uh, the, the listeners. I mean, this is really good stuff. I mean, I, I, I can't think of a, a more appropriate new technology that's out there to address a big concern and, and something, you know, something that people are like, want to know quickly how bad maybe I have it. You know. And you you made a comment earlier about being nimble, and that's really important to us as well. We we love to get the word out there for people to also provide us with feedback. If something about our tests kind of misses the mark for them, let's say the forty you know some compounds that we're reporting don't capture some ones that are particularly um, right. of interest for a certain group or agency let us know and we'll look at um, adding those compounds if there's standards available for them or maybe somebody does have a driver for a lower reporting limit that we're not aware of so we do we welcome that feedback from from the whole community um, as to any changes or improvements that uh, would be helpful to you so as as easy as it is i mean you you go in you 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 set up your your accounts with little q code uh, process here right you get that part going and then uh, you set up the uh, you you take the sample you send it back in and then you get your results 
uh, via like an email notification, and 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 uh, that's that's how you uh, open up your email, and, and you can read the results. Yeah. So the you get a link to access the secure data portal where okay. you can view your results. You can view them on your phone um, or on the computer. Any information uh, that comes along with the results that it says? There you know? is. Yes. There's something we call the test guide, okay. and it provides um, it useful references and information about um, where to go to compare your results to NHANES, what that comparison um, means to you, ways that you can um, kind of evaluate your own lifestyle, where your exposure might be coming from, and what you could do about it. Um, so, yeah, there's some helpful resources. Sources. Well, that's really good. I mean, that's that's. Is there any age uh, correlation? You know, from like, hey, I'm a I'm a male. You know, in my fifties or something like that. I mean, do you have something that kind of gives that too. The NHANES data is categorized by okay. gender and age, and um, also some about ethnicity. Gotcha. Well, that's really. I mean, I think this is really going to be an attractive. Um, you know, way for and easy. I mean, you just do it at your home. I mean, it's it's a it's like you just it's like uh, DoorDash, right? <laughs> That's right. We never have to leave our homes for anything ever again. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is great. This is gonna be awesome, man. I can't wait to see what this turns out to be. As for you know, the the results of all this data that's gonna come in and. And how how that's going to change the industry and 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 change communities that are affected by, uh, you know, PFAS exposure because I'm sure that's going to be a big interest for uh, some of the people. They're going to start to take these tests and they're going to start asking questions and it's going to you know get up to the EPA and you know drinking water contaminant levels for the UCMR stuff is going on right now. I know you guys are probably in the thick of getting ready to start right. sampling a lot of that right now for public you know, supply water supply systems, but this is going to be another one. There's another area. I mean, this is so good. I can't wait. This is going to be good. Oh, this has been, and what else do you see coming down the pike or what else do you see that's going to happen with any of this information? I mean, specific to the blood or just PFAS in general? Well, how, what do you think this is going to do to the industry with this, you know, with this, because no one else is doing it except you guys at the moment. You guys are like first to the, first to the, the game here. Yeah. You know, maybe, maybe other laboratories will think to start providing tests to the public. Um, the sampling device is um, exclusively ours, so others wouldn't be able to provide the self-collection, um, but other labs could choose to offer a serum test. Right now, it's not available to the public, so mm. that could be an, an evolution of this, um, just ex accessibility, giving you know people what they, they're asking for. Uh, but I do think probably the most significant thing to come out of this will be understanding whether um, other PFAS are showing up in people's blood versus the legacy PFAS that are showing a downward trend in people's blood because they've been phased out of production. Mm. Well, how many, if you were, you know, rough estimate, how many samples have been, you know, submitted to date? I don't know. I, oh, I don't, I don't think, estimate? <laughs> I don't think it's probably very significant, maybe a hundred okay. or something like oh, okay. that. Okay. So it's just started. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you got to start, you know, you got to start somewhere. That's good. Yeah. So I don't have any, you know, special insights to share with you yet about data trends or, or anything okay. like that. But now I'm assuming you guys will be doing some of that down the road once the, you know, be educating the, the, the communities and how, how well this has been received and sure. the trends. Uh, that's going to be good. Well, hey, Taryn, this has been a great episode. I can't wait to see the progress of this moving forward. And and here's a here's an opportunity that I think the listeners can uh, take advantage of. We are going to offer a free sample kit to one of the listeners. Um, and so what we're asking you to do is to go onto my website and sign up for our newsletter. And then when you do that, we'll, we'll pick a random winner. Uh, and we'll let this go for the next week. And uh, then we'll see how many people come in and, and do that. And we may also uh, put a, a, an opportunity for the listeners uh, through social media, say Instagram or Facebook, to send me direct message as well. 
and then we'll count those as also opportunities to to get you know their name in the hat and then we'll announce a winner and we'll uh we'll we'll get that into uh the uh to Taryn and she could drop ship the darn thing over yep, to we'll you do. and then it'll work that way. So this is really exciting. I can't wait. It's going to be All awesome. Right. Great. Thanks so much, Sean. All right. Thanks for coming on the show. Did you know E-Tank is the only environmental rental equipment company in the industry that offers a 100% certified clean guarantee at no additional cost? Well, this gives customers the peace of mind knowing that container contents from the previous renter isn't going to cross-contaminate the contents of the current customer and potentially cause liability concerns. You know, E-Tank also provides a one-of-a-kind complete maintenance program for all its rental items, including liquid-tight roll-off containers, fluid transfer pumps, and filtration system components. To learn more about the types of containers and pumps E-Tank supplies, check out their website at www.etank.net. So the next time you are faced with an environmentally challenging project, give E-Tank a call to help solve your problem. It's just that easy. I want to thank our guest, Taryn McKnight, for coming onto the show today. If you want to learn more about Yorfin's PFAS exposure self-collection sampling kits, check out their website at www.yourfins.com. We'll also put a link to Taryn's contact information on my website. To listen to future environmental transformation podcasts, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast networks, or from my website at www.seankgrady.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram or the Environmental Transformation Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. We'd also love to hear feedback from the ET Nation. So please consider leaving a review on my website or on the Apple Podcast platform. Thanks for listening, and until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today. I want to thank our guest, Taryn McKnight, for coming onto the show today. If you want to learn more about Yorfin's PFAS exposure self-collection sampling kits, check out their website at www.yourfins.com. We'll also put a link to Taryn's contact information on my website. To listen to future environmental transformation podcasts, you can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast networks, or from my website at www.seankgrady.com. And you can also follow me on Instagram or the Environmental Transformation Podcast Facebook page. If you enjoyed the podcast episode, don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. We'd also love to hear feedback from the ET Nation. So please consider leaving a review on my website or on the Apple Podcast platform. Thanks for listening. And until next time, make a positive impact in someone's life today. <music>